Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Let's bring in Steve Dorsey, CBS reporter in Washington, D.C. Steve, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks a lot for doing this. So um, where are we at now? Um, I've been following a little bit, but our COVID numbers here uh, have been uh, getting pretty high, and uh, so that's taken up a lot of the oxygen uh, here in Winnipeg and Manitoba. Uh, Trump is uh, still has not conceded. Uh, he's been very quiet. He was out for Veterans Day yesterday, uh, but that's it. Uh, he's been on Twitter a little bit. And Joe Biden continues to transition, even though Donald Trump is not making that easy for him. Have I, have I kind of summed it up? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's uh, what we're tracking here in Washington with uh, the biggest news over the last uh, 12 hours or so, uh, with uh, President-elect Biden announcing his chief of staff. Uh, he's also continuing to have uh, calls with world leaders, including this morning with uh, Pope Francis, where they discussed uh, climate change and, and immigration and, and refugees, and, and the Pope congratulated him, uh, all while the White House has uh, put a pause on his uh, presidential daily briefings while they wait for what we call the uh, the GSA, the government agency, the federal agency that ascertains an apparent winner. So uh, Biden continues to move on uh, toward the White House. Uh, obviously that doesn't officially happen until January. I guess Trump can hold out until then, and he certainly has uh, filed some some legal arguments as to why he doesn't think the election was fair, and, and I guess we'll see what happens with those, eh? Uh, absolutely. Um, we uh, are going to have to see how these play out in court, uh, but we're also going to have to see how the president could uh, respond differently if he responds differently. I mean, we know that from White House advisors what they tell us, he doesn't plan to concede. But uh, will he offer any other kind of olive branch? Who knows? I don't think it's likely at this moment. Yeah, I was reading one story saying that he may just head off to Florida, uh, never to be heard from again at the end of all of this. And he's already talking about running again in four years. Yeah, listen, I think we'll be hearing from him again. It just uh, might not be in perhaps ways that we expect. Um you know, there's been talk about him starting his own digital media network. That's mm-hmm. always kind of floated out there. Uh, he, his own chief of staff, Mark Meadows, told reporters last week or so that it's possible he could run again, as you said, in in four years. So I don't think this is the last we've heard of him. But you know, I think the epilogue to Donald Trump may be the most interesting chapter. Yeah. Um, as far as the legal challenges go. Um, and I've read some on this, probably not near as much as what you have, so you help me help me out a bit if you can here, Steve. But what I see in there is, I, yes, I see some irregularities but uh, in, his, in his argument, but to me it seems like just average stuff that I think would happen to both sides in any given election, and, and I don't see a lot of hardcore fraud. Am I, am I wrong? Sure, uh, right on the right on the money. I mean, I think that's the same sentiment a lot of legal and election experts are seeing too. There could be some one-off inconsistencies, uh, but so far there's nothing widespread to suggest anything especially nefarious. 
Hmm. I guess we shouldn't have expected Donald Trump uh, to be any different than he's been over the past four years, right? I mean, uh, he has been a surprise at every turn, and he is a surprise uh, with the results of this election, which appear to put uh, Joe Biden in the White House. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this tracks with everything that we've been hearing from the from the Trump White House. Um, I, I don't think we should uh, have expected anything different or should expect anything different. Um, and now I think uh, it's uh, up to Joe Biden to take a different message, and I think he's starting to do that right now. Steve, thanks a lot for this. Appreciate it. Thank you. Right now, uh, joining us on the phone, Fong Wan is a marketing prof at the Asper School of Business at the University of Manitoba. Fong, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Hi, thank you so much for doing this. I'm sure you, like everybody, uh, we've all been following along uh, the COVID numbers in, in Manitoba, the messaging and, and the health orders from the province, from Manitoba's top doctor, uh, Brent Rusin. And there's been some confusion uh, from what was said Tuesday to what is in the order today. And I wanted to talk to you because you're a marketing professor, and in marketing, because it's one of my interests, in marketing, messaging is everything. As you have been watching this, how has the messaging been? Has it been confusing for you? So I think this confusion is the outcome. And I think the the reason for this confusion, where people are not clear, um, is actually attributed to a number of factors. Um, first of all, I think um, when you think about uh, how do people, there are two um, sides of this. One, one is that uh, what kind of message is putting out there? Two is that how do people get their information? And I think the challenge here is that this is the first pandemic in the age of social media. So our problem now, the confusion may not be that the government or public health officials are not giving clear information, is that we are bombarded um, in the age of social media with misinformation and disinformation. So there are two kinds of information here. So it's very stressful that we're bombarded with all the information. And because of the dilution and the confusion and the flooding of other types of information, we don't know what is really important and what is true. So I think let's not forget about the challenge of communicating here. So I think mm-hmm. that confusion is partly because of this challenge in the social media era. And that's the first point I want to make. The second, you talk about the confusion. It's also about what kind of message you put out there. Um, yes, we say, okay, um, this is a number. Like today, for example, like yesterday, for example, uh, 10.8% tested positive rate, etc. But but how do you translate a number? People look at a number, they may not be sensitive. But if you say, you know what, you the, the advice, the message here is you should stay home. Uh, one household, you know, the one person from the household should go to grocery shopping no more than twice, whatever. You need to put everything in a very specific and consistent way. So I yes. think there are two folds of this. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a consistency, clarity, and also it's about how do people select the right. source of their information. Yes, absolutely. And and I was just going to say this because I'm hearing from many people by text and email right now, half of them are saying, it's not confusing. What are you talking about? Stay home. It's simple. And the other people are saying, well, it is confusing because he said this on Tuesday and now it says this in the order. And you throw in some social media misinformation and you're right. But it is really about personalities, isn't it? It's about 
uh, mm-hmm. because some people want rules and they follow the rules and other people see rules and try and work around them. I love what you said about these uh, personalities in, com- in marketing. In marketing term, we call them segmentation. The people are different and we, segre- we segment them, right? So there are people in certain profile, in certain attitude and age, like young people, for example. Um, people live in certain location. And, and so all this, so the research is so much about the social class, it's about education background. It's actually also about the perceived severity of the virus and how vulnerable, susceptible they feel. And these really are important and a different segment they react to messages very differently, right? So then when we, um, this is really a, the challenge of public health is that maybe when we talk about big data, smart uh, marketing, it is really about how we customize messages to different kind of people. And you're right for people, and we know that for people who really know the nature of this virus, it is about human contact. So it's really scary, but our right mental model is right now that we have the case more than 400 almost like every day. And everybody, every human you see is a potential carrier. Okay, the word out there when you go out of your household, it's a war with that uh, invisible enemy. And that mentality is very scary, right? But that's the right mentality to cut off the spread of the virus. But the question is, going back to how comfortable people want to do that. And also after eight months, you know, the first uh, um, uh, lockdown for Manitoba is March. After eight months, people are so drained. It's almost like, you know, um, I don't care anymore. So it's an exhaustion. So you're talking about risk-taking and less risk-taking, more precautious people. And you're right. The messages should be tailored to different kind of people. For example, those people who want to take risks themselves, we need to use moral messaging. We need to make them aware there is a sense of guilt and responsibility that if they go out there and they're young, whatever, they're irresponsible. But the older people, the vulnerable group, the unhealthy group can really die. So I think this is why it is so important. You're right about this customization to different segments. Here's in a final, I'll give you the final minute or so here uh, to, to comment on this. Here's why I think it was important for Dr. Rusin on Tuesday to say mm-hmm. what was going to be in the order. Because on Tuesday, it was like, you stay at home, it's your home, and that's it. Whereas in the order now, the order says gatherings up to five are allowed. And Dr. Rusin now is saying, well, we have to account for people that live alone and they may need, may need help. And Okay, I think he should have made this very clear on Tuesday, and I'll make a comparison here to, uh, again, back to the marketing world where you're, you live. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're buying a car and you hear a commercial on CJOB that gives you details, and then you get to the dealership to buy that car and they go, oh, and by the way, we didn't tell you this or this or this, that's mm-hmm. a big problem. And that's why mm-hmm. I think Dr. Rusin needed to be more clear on Tuesday. Not to blame the guy, because I understand the stress he must be under and, and what he's uh, going through, uh, but I think he should have done that on Tuesday to avoid this confusion now. Your thoughts? Mm-hmm. I think this goes back to uh, when we say keep distancing, keep social distancing, right? And that political correct is accurate, but what does it mean? And it means that, you know what, you stay at home, you don't go out, you, you, other than your immediate family member, the bubble, you cannot even go outside your household. So we're talking about the two different levels of specific 
specificity, right? It's a different uh, uh, specific information and, and action-oriented. So I think this is why maybe the justification is very important, is that you stay at home, you don't go get out of home. This is a very specific action, because when you do that, I mean, you are not get together with social gathering. But at the same time, for those people who have to get out, we're talking about a crowd around them no more than five. So with different context, this information will play out differently. So you're Mm -hmm. right. When you play different piece of information and they're not contradicting with each other, you need to bring that context into picture. And this is really, I think here people are very stressful and whatever the ambiguity and the confusion, um, mm-hmm. a lot of negative energy here. So easily he can be yeah. the scapegoat for that, right? But this is a very challenging time for public um, health officials to exercise the right strategy, the accuracy, um, and and also the important you know advocacy in terms of the, how they talk about these information. Fang Wan, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Hal, for having me. Joining us now on the phone, Dana Riccio Arabe. Dana, good afternoon. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for doing this. Please, you're the executive director of your organization. Please say the name because I don't want to mess it up and I know I will. Yes, absolutely. It's Wabung Abinujiak. Very nice. Did a great job of it. Congratulations. Um, so explain a little bit about your organization, and then I want to get into Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Absolutely. So Wabung Abinujiak, we're a domestic violence uh, crisis intervention, prevention, and healing center for children and their families. And we're an Indigenous organization located here in Winnipeg. Um, but we support folks all across Manitoba, and we do so in programming. Uh, we have housing accommodations and, and cultural ceremonies. So it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. That's why you're here. That's yeah. why why we're talking. And I think most people understand that, and it's been discussed on other shows today. Um, what I want to talk to you about is, again, we've been talking about this today on the COVID-19 front, messaging. Mm-hmm. On a, a month where it's about awareness, making people aware, what are the important things people need to know about domestic violence? Absolutely. And thank you for creating the space to talk about this, because I Mm -hmm. think that's the most important part of this is that we have platforms and that we have opportunities to discuss. I think the most important thing to understand is that domestic violence um, is real and that this happens and that we need to be informed of the resources and the opportunities out there for uh, for for safety and for supports that exist. I think we need to, um, domestic violence awareness is also about to, to ensure that folks are comfortable in speaking if, and calling and, and accessing supports if they need uh, that. But it's also for family members and friends to become aware about what signs to look for and what resources are out there. Um, so to educate ourselves about understanding what that may be and how we can support one another. Um, it's it's crucial that we, we talk about this, we incorporate um, different opportunities to here at Wobong Avenue Jack to ensure that we can have um, encouraged conversations about resources and safe spaces um, in our province and in our city that are available. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree. It's the conver- I think it's the conversation and the education that can happen around a month like this that's the most important thing. What, somebody yeah. like me, what, what can I do 
uh, to help end domestic violence? Do I uh, keep an eye on my, my family and friends? If I see something, do I say something? Help me understand what I can do as an average Winnipeg or an average Manitoban who cares about this issue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's first and foremost, isolation is really, it's, it's, a, it's a key component to violence. And so we need to ensure that we are keeping in contact, especially with COVID and code red, but we're, we're checking in on folks. We're calling folks. We're, um, we're looking for conversations. We're having conversations and making sure that people are okay. And how is that going? If you are suspecting something, um, that's happening, I do highly recommend that you contact, if it's an emergency contact, of course, the police, but there's a crisis line within our province that you can, uh, contact the crisis line. And it doesn't mean that you have to be in crisis, but that if there's something that you're looking for and you're not being able to uh, hear from a family member or friend or, or their um, communication styles may have changed or there's just different concerns that you might have and some red flags and it's not uh, feeling safe for you, then contact that crisis line and we, uh, those folks can be able to support you on how to support your family. Do you think we're seeing more domestic violence um, around uh, COVID-19, this virus, uh, virus, you know, I mean, we, I think we're seeing more depression. Uh, we're seeing more anxiety, more panic. Are we also seeing more domestic violence because of the stress and pressure that this virus is putting on people? Yeah. You know what? So in Manitoba, we don't have the staff and the data essentially right on the phone calls um, for the crisis lines, et cetera. But, but we know that violence thrives in isolation. And so the text messages that are going towards the, viol- the crisis line has increased. And so, yes, there's, um, there's a real concern here for, the, for domestic violence that has increased, especially during COVID, because the access to resources, being able to have a safety network, being able to leave your home, uh, it plays it plays a huge part in um, safety. And so I really, that's why the importance of Domestic Violence Awareness Month is really key just to be able to have folks uh, feel confident in in speaking up and and accessing resources and understanding where those resources are, but even more so during COVID to ensure that there are steps that can be taken um, to ensure that folks are safe. And so Wabung Avenue Jack, along with many other organizations within the province and uh, stakeholders and um, and partners that we're working with are providing sub- services and supports, and uh, those are still active. And we, we ensure safety, we ensure that there's social distancing, um, but we know that domestic violence still um, is living within families within our city. And so we have to ensure that there's, uh, there's resources available. Mm-hmm. And if somebody listening right now, Dana, wants to uh, find your organization online or contact you, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So they can find us um, on Facebook is probably the most, uh, and it, we're Wabung Abinujiak or Wabung225 on uh, Facebook. Our phone number is 204-925-4610, um, and we will uh, we'll be available um, to anyone who would like more information or who would like to know more about our programs or who, who needs some support in any way. Dina, thanks a lot for your help with this. Appreciate it. No, thank you very much for having me, and I wish you all the best. Thank you. You as well. Joining us now, Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling, connexuscounseling.ca. Carolyn, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. How are you? 
Excellent. Thank you for doing this. I'm going to get to an email that you sent me on Tuesday in a bit, uh, but let me get this out of the way. I wanted to ask you, we're, we're talking about Dr. Rusin and what was said on Tuesday and then what's in the actual order today and the confusion around it. Um, I, I don't want to get into whose fault it is or, or any of that, but I'm curious to know, you're, you're a therapist, you deal with people and their problems every day. What makes a person listen what makes them tune out help us understand why some people get this sort of thing and others don't well i think we have to recognize that we are not just thinking beings that also feel neurobiologically we're also feeling beings that also think and maybe not always as often as we should and so often we don't realize when we're making an action and we've made a decision we don't realize how much our desires and our needs and the pressure that we feel inside to go out or to stay at home, that it's those fears and desires that are really shaping um, what we think our decisions with our head, but we're actually making them with our heart. And so um, I notice, you know, as I'm listening to people, I can hear some people talking and they can rationalize how it makes sense to do X and somebody else the next hour can rationalize how it doesn't make sense to do X. And they don't realize how much their underlying feelings and motivations are really influencing how they talk themselves through something. And so I think that's where it sort of comes back to what's the science and how can we listen to that and and filter that through and really hear it and not just be able to bend things so that they suit what we were hoping that it would say. Yeah, and, and I had a marketing professor on earlier, and we had this conversation too. You know, some people see a rule, and they follow it, and they don't have a problem with that. Uh, they don't, might not like it, but they don't have a problem with following the rule. And then other people will see a rule, and they try and figure a workaround, right? How, how can I get around the rule? And I think we're seeing a lot on both sides of that right now. Well, I think... Um, Dr. Rusin, he sends out one message that uh, different you know, people in the media try to capture, but he is one person sending out a message to everybody. And I think anybody who has more than one child will know that if your child has forgotten to empty out the dishwasher, if one child has done it, you're aware that if you look at them too sternly, they might burst into tears and run in the room because of how you have shamed and scolded them. And another child you can't yell at them loud enough to have them understand how they need to do it. They just sort of sit there and smile and like, it's no big deal, I forgot, right? And so you are always parenting, knowing who your child is, how sensitive they are, how risk-averse they are, how risk-acceptant they are, and you adjust your message for that child so that they are able to hear it at the level that they need to be able to hear it uh, because everybody's different. And Dr. Rusin is trying to give a message to some people who are terrified to say, if we just follow the rules, it'll be okay. And other people who are so risk acceptance, they need to hear, we need to buckle down because the numbers are getting out of control. And it's hard to address everybody on the spectrum at once. And so I think we need to be understanding of Dr. Rusin, as I've certainly heard you trying to be, and then say, how do we adapt this message for who I am and do what's necessary to make life safer for everybody and to be able to get the numbers low enough that we can open up again safely. You are usually Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling, the guest. Uh, you are also Carolyn Klassen, the listener. And I got an email from the listener 
on Tuesday as you were listening to the show, and I appreciate that. Um, here And here's what you said, and you told me in an email back and forth today, you said, sometimes it's easier for me to write it out. And I think a lot of people are like that. Writing it out helps, uh, you know, whether uh, if somebody's reading it or not. But anyhow, let me just read a little bit of what you wrote, and then I'll, I'll let you weigh in on it. <clears throat> On a scale of 0 to 10, it feels like the collective tension and stress level has just risen to 14. This is alarming for all of us and deeply disappointing to so many who have been diligent about mass social distancing and hand washing for months. Bodies are going to be feeling the distress of all this. This is a normal reaction by normal people to very distress to a very distressing situation. Pay attention to the distress. Ignoring it won't make it go away but may increase the possibility of people losing their temper or having their blood pressure go up. It will be easy to start blaming officials or your partner or somebody. Be aware of how the energy of stress looks for a crack to come through, and your brain will justify anger because it needs to offload on something. Let's name how hard this is. These next weeks, as stress goes up, self-care needs to go up as well. Bubble baths, candles are part of that for sure, but so are clear instructions to others to let them know when it isn't a good time to be pushed, letting people know when you are maxed out, making hard choices to focus your energy and careful attention to getting some exercise and doing your best to eat better. I invite how your listeners to be good to themselves, to allow them to be good to others. This is hard, but with gentle care towards ourselves and each other, we will get through this, will in capital letters. It will be hard with disappointments and loneliness, but we will get through it. Really wonderfully written. Uh, you know, for an email in the middle of my show, I don't know how long you took to write that, but it was it was fantastic, and I think that's such a such an important message as we go through this, Carolyn. Yes, thank you. Um, thanks for reading that. And I am just aware that we have to sort of hold both at once. Yes, this is hard. And yes, we will get through this. Ignoring it just pushes it underground and feelings will not be ignored. I promise you they will emerge and it won't be pretty. Uh, let's find a way to name them, but not also for them to hijack us. Once we can name it, we can decide what we want to do about those feelings this is hard, and if somebody doesn't find this hard, I, I'm not sure that they're paying attention or that they're being really honest with themselves. And you know, Carolyn, yesterday I, I uh, at 12:30 when the numbers came out, I I checked them. <laughs> wasn't working yesterday, but I checked them, and I saw nine deaths yesterday, and then nine today, um, and seven of today's nine deaths are at homes and hospitals. And the cases are the numbers keep going up, and we've got you know now over six thousand active cases of COVID-19 and sometimes because I am looking at them every day and and talking about them every day and reading them every day uh, their numbers and then it'll hit me these are human beings you know and it's just so tragic Carolyn it's and this has been months and months of this and it looks like it's going to be months more of this it's it's just so and Somebody pointed this out the other day. Somebody sent me a text message and said, "Oh, easy for you to, you know, you're sitting on your, sitting on your ass at your home studio and, and you're doing your radio show." I know how hard this has been for me. I can't imagine how hard this is for everybody out there who don't have a job and and want to be working and can't and can't make ends meet. I mean, I've said many times, you know, everybody is dealing with challenges. I, I'm I'm not here to, you know, say anybody's challenges are less than another person's. But this is difficult for 
everyone and human lives are being lost. You're right. There are nine more families today after nine families yesterday, nine sets of friends, just uh, this whole circle of people around a person that is grieving and feeling like this is bad. This is so hard to be missing them. And there's this extra layer of, did it have to happen? Did it have to be necessary for this to happen? What if we had done things differently? And that whole feeling of regret and asking and that whole what if part of grief um, can just about send grieving families around the bend. And I think um, I, I just hear some of the passion in people's voices who've lost family members of, this isn't a joke. We really need to do what's necessary. We really need to do what's necessary so that your family isn't being affected like my family. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.